It's me, Jesse. And if you're a fan of a genre many have called the greatest in human history, you're really going to enjoy this episode. And before I get into the specifics and take us on a trip down memory lane, I'd like to introduce uh, my co-host. First and foremost, we managed to trick a girl into talking about butt rock with us. So Megan, how are you? How's COVID treating you? I'm good. I'm back. I didn't even miss last episode because of COVID. I actually missed it because I went to a concert and got COVID. So got COVID. now I'm stuck in my room and I have to do the podcast, unfortunately. This is Megan's flu game. This is like her time. This is her Michael Jordan performance. Chance, what's up, big man? Oh, not much. I've I've been having a blessed day because of the playlist that you've presented to us. (laughs) So, Dino, I just want to thank you, uh, Jesse. I've been playing the playlist uh, for uh, all of my various my paramours. Mm. uh, My my (laughs) (laughs) paramour heard this one. That's yeah, cool. Awesome. She'd love that. Uh, but yeah, no, like all, all of the girls uh, who I talked to, uh, mm-hmm. which are plentiful, mm-hmm. um, all really loved all of the songs uh, that you shared. So I bet girls okay. love this type of music because it's always about them. <laughs> that's yeah, right. that's true. Okay. They are the subject. I, I was saying before the <laughs> yeah. show, like girls love this. Mu- <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> girls love this music in the same way that they love Ted Bundy. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, but like a lot of women online do. Yeah, oh, yeah, no, it's true. It's so funny. But uh, I was gonna say, as I've mentioned earlier, like Loki. I know this genre is bad, and we're here to make fun of it, and it is bad music. But it's really catchy, and I wouldn't say I hated all the songs on the playlist. I was enjoying myself a little bit. Megan, what were some of the highlights for you? I'm just curious as to what songs you like. I do. Like, just Nickelback from childhood is, like, classic. So I feel Mm -hmm. like it's always fun to sing along. Um, I listened to that It's Been a While song, which is very yes. bad, but I had fun listening. It's so oh, sick. You're going to love the end of this episode. Let me tell you something for sure. Um, Lips of an I, Angel I, by Hinder, be... actually incredible. Oh. Like, I love that song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very good. This might be the first episode where Megan is the devil's advocate. No, yeah. Megan and I are hard agreeing on many things. I feel like you're I'm actually going to be in the minority, Dean. <laughs> I'm always yeah, against you guys. Really I'm I'm like always by myself in my opinions on this show. It's just normally you are all collectively the devil, and I'm normal. Reach out, and this week reach out your hand to the to the okay, webcam. Yeah. Let's shake on it. Yeah, this is Megan going well for those just agreement. listening in audio. Black. Everyone just imagine the black hand, white hand from Predator. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So, yeah. folks, okay. we're gonna get into. What I'm considering a spiritual successor to the much beloved, I think that's actually genuine, much beloved uh, episode 69, Hard Backwards <laughs> R, the only I one I know the it. title of, uh, <laughs> which Chance and I did in early July 2021, where we talked about another controversial and cult genre, that of new metal. Tracing oh, it yeah. all the way from hip hop and rock roots to the zenith of its mainstream popularity and appeal, 1999-2000. And there is more to this story, however, because as we kind of hit on at the end of that episode, new metal really started to peter out, and we started to get these like pale imitations that lacked any of the punch and like political fury and fire, or even like genuine rage and like righteous anger of the original kind of genre of new metal, and. 
not like new metal did continue, but we then saw it spiral off into my personal favorite side genre and the subject of today's episode, something called butt rock. And now in the notes, Dean has gotten one of the two kind of origins of the term butt rock. And Dean, would you like, if you have it handy, would you like to read that off or? Yes. Perfect. So as, as far as I understand, uh, butt rock, you know how like Nirvana knew they were grunge, mm-hmm. you know, hair metal bands knew they were hair metal. No one identified as butt rock. Mm-hmm. This was just sort of <laughs> a, a name that was invented Seemingly out of thin air. There's a lot of like urban legend stories as to where the term comes from. No one really agrees. Uh, But uh, for our purposes, we're going to focus on sort of Bush era bands. Mm -hmm. Uh, This sort of this era of, uh, you know, pretty much. I feel like it's safe to say Bush era culture was the worst culture America's ever put out. Mm, Um, Yeah. Pretty bad, it's, yeah. It's pretty fuck. At least in terms of music, it's pretty fucking abhorrent. Uh, but yeah, so a good frame of reference was uh, in this article by Screenshot.com, where they say, "quote But rock, like any other organ in our body, follows. Mm-hmm. It is more derivative than innovative. It can essentially be considered as the excretion of what head rock, or actually good innovative rock, uh, had previously consumed and processed." <laughs> This is the dregs. This mm-hmm. is the how the sausage gets made. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a meat slurry. It's the pink ooze that becomes the chicken nugget. Do you know where the, you're listening to? Where the term, the etymology of butt rock comes from? Because I thought this was also quite funny. Uh, I, I've heard theories and stories. I want to hear this one. So apparently it was uh, a radio station down in Florida that was playing like all this contemporary rock and like the radio bumper said nothing but rock. And then that slowly morphed into nothing but rock, which then yeah. <laughs> gained a great deal of cultural purchase. Another uh, explanation is that a lot of the singers sound like they are grunting and like pushing shit out as they sing. Of course, there's a very famous example we'll get to in just a moment. But mm-hmm. uh, unlike with new metal, where you can like maybe say, oh, new metal, that doesn't sound explicitly like terrible or insulting. But it's like when you hear the term butt rock, I'm sorry, <laughs> there is no positive connotation that can be no. mined from that. I was going to say there there's a few genres that fall into mm-hmm. uh, that type of category where it has negative connotations. So one of them was uh, Yacht Rock. Yacht Rock, mm. yep. That's, that's yacht maybe rock. an episode for another day because there's some Dude, hilarious be shit I would love there. to do a Yacht Rock show for uh, a year. But, but no, nobody, especially at the time, maybe now some bands do out of like irony or appreciation of the, the genre, but at the time, being called or labeled yacht rock was a death sentence. Brutal. Like you did not, you wanted to just be as far away from that as possible. And um, you know, butt rock is very similar to that. Mm. Uh, I also remember when emo meant negative or bad or sad. Uh, people would call things emo, yes. and that was also very negative as a as a term for a genre. So, like, there's not many examples of this. Um, but I think butt rock like is one that has definitely lived on and is very hard to get out of 
Um, yes. Yacht Rock, you're able to spin it around as, uh, you know, oh, it's a sign of the times. Like, Butt Rock is so obviously <laughs> negative. <laughs> There's no coming back. No. Um, at the time, I feel like all these artists that are considered Butt Rock now... Like, they just thought that they're making rock. That's definitely how Absolutely. they describe themselves. They're like, yeah, we're just making rock and roll music. Like, I, I don't At know. I feel like they saw themselves, like, saving that genre almost. From, like, 2003 onwards. Because I'll talk about, there's an interesting, like, jumping off point that I think uh, will become plainly apparent to everyone <laughs> shortly. But, Dean, please continue the thought that you had as well before yes. I uh, take yeah. over here. Uh, no one would describe themselves as butt rock. Uh, but not only that, I feel like the definition of butt rock is elastic and sort of varies person to person. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in my research, I found people calling poison and kiss butt rock, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't know if I fully agree with. Uh, we can get more into that later. But yeah, it's like sometimes it is, you know, just uh, a a slur uh, hurled against any rock music that someone doesn't like. Mm-hmm. Um but you know, in, uh, in, I personally would consider Elvis Presley uh, mm-hmm. and uh, you know Johnny Fra- B. Good, Frank Rock. Sinatra, yeah, for sure. Uh, John uh, Darnell, yeah, Buddy the, Holly. <laughs> one of the other things that really separates Butt Rock as well, similarly to Yacht Rock, was the idea that it was very, it was purposefully made for the idea of the consumer. Oh yeah, and mm-hmm. the spender. Yeah. Um, like they were essentially formulated, especially later on, to just make money and be not non-offensive, but uh, marketable. And um, yeah, I think I think that's another huge part of it that separated it from new metal because new metal was incredibly not marketable. <laughs> um, <laughs> what, Fred? Ah. <laughs> new metal was metal and hip-hop, two things that the world and parents hated. What, you're saying um, Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Flavored Water isn't a marketable album title? Yeah. <laughs> whereas, whereas Butt Rock was notably very marketable. Um, oh, yeah. and, and in the early 2000s, you literally heard it on every radio station all the time. And on that note, I think... Now, much like with the new metal episode, there's a lot of different places you could start the discussion of butt rock. The one thing I'll mention before I dive officially into what I've got here is you can even trace its roots back to the grunge movement. In fact, early on, a lot of the bands we're going to talk about were labeled as being post-grunge because they had mm-hmm. those kind of grunge, especially <laughs> Pearl Jam style singing affects which made all kinds of mainstream rock music from about 1998 to 2001 completely indistinguishable. But for the sake of this butt rock discussion, there's a very specific starting point I'd like to talk uh, I'd like to start with. It was a crisp, sunny September morning. At approximately 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, the world as we knew it would be forever altered. Like a bolt of lightning out of the blue, A tower was struck by something that would change American culture. Nickelback's Silver Side Up went on sale. (laughs) The band's third studio album would go 11 times platinum, selling over 10 million copies worldwide, with, of course, the main lead single, How You Remind Me, becoming ubiquitous with modern rock radio for the next six months and in the 20 years that have followed. Yes, September 11th, 
2001. Truly one of the most memorable days in music history. Also, I don't know, some other shit happened. Lest we forget. Nickelback making their major splash forever altered culture as we would know it. This is how you remind And their rise to the top of the rock charts was no doubt aided by the Clear Channel Memorandum, something we talked about in the New Metal episode, which was related to the other stuff that happened on September 11th. You know, the, we talk about it a lot. We're all in agreement. It was, it, you know. <laughs> yeah. So the, the Clear Channel Memorandum, if you aren't familiar, forebode stations from playing hundreds of songs that could be considered inflammatory or offensive following 9-11, casting a wide net outlawing songs no matter how tenuous the connection was. For example, Free Falling by Tom Petty, outlawed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the Big Old Jet Aerolina by uh, the Steve Miller Band, outlawed. Terrible. Uh, all 49 Rage Against the Machine songs, outlawed. It literally just said every Rage Against the Machine song. As Dean noted, Bandages by Hot Hot Heat, uh, outlawed. Classic. Because they didn't want people to think it was about injured soldiers. I thought they banned it because they thought it was about school shootings after Columbine. No, it was the Iraq War Uh, that they were specifically mad about. So the Clear Channel Memorandum cleared a lot of both contemporary and classic rock off the rock charts. And I'm not saying that is the sole reason for Nickelback's success, but it certainly helped Manners when they didn't have to compete with, you know, all kinds of their contemporaries who made anything even remotely political, including, of course, System of a Down. So Nickelback had a nice little niche to slide into. And what other bands realized, and as Chance touched upon, there was a great kind of commercial consumerist rush to create the most saccharine, inoffensive, and in some cases religious rock possible to get yourself a hit. So the early 2000s was, at least on the rock scene, dominated in 2001 by two main bands. The aforementioned Nickelback, but of course, everybody's other favorite punching bag, Creed. I love Creed. Okay, this is actually wild, too, because the Strokes were, like, becoming really big in 2001, and I honestly cannot believe that I know, you know, Americans are funny little creatures, but, like, the fact that those were your options and you didn't choose to listen to, like, (laughs) the Strokes and the Killers and Interpol and everything and said they were like, yeah, Nickelback is where we're going to try and take rock. And then I've heard so many people since then try and, like, lump the Strokes and Nickelback into the same category of, like, cock rock just because they're both fast, which is so ridiculous, but... Yeah, Nickelback's not even fast. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's like they're mid They're just like, su- like sung by men, but that's like all of Brock, mm-hmm. so yeah. I don't know. I really, I feel like the Venn diagram of Strokes fans and Nickelback fans was, at least at that point, more or less two separate circles. Yeah. I, you know, yeah. like it's like, oh, like, do I want to listen to Chad Kroger? sort of mm-hmm. growl about uh, a girl being mean to him <laughs> or do i want to listen to an 80 pound you uh, uh, like uh, some guy uh who is 80 pounds you know jabber about uh i don't know a new york bar that i've never been to mm. <laughs> those are your options with are rock you and roll. are you implying folks, that the was... strokes was not the greatest band of all time because i have news for you so no i'm saying no like if (laughs) anyone under 100 pounds is just gonna make great music julian is large i don't know what you're talking about the rest of them are skinny but 
So I have a question for you guys. Do you like if you've been online, especially in like a music sphere, you constantly see people saying like Nickelback and Creed are the two worst bands of all time. My question to you guys is, are they really the worst bands ever? And then follow up. Why do you think they receive so much more backlash than even some of their contemporaries in this famously odious genre of music? So the the, the thing about the backlash the first one about them being the worst band, maybe I'll touch on. But the reason why they got so much backlash is similar to if I say, hey, there, Delilah in this chat. Oh, or God. if I say when September ends in <laughs> this song. chat, um, everyone's going to be like, Jesus Christ, I heard that way too much. Mm-hmm. And it was it was an issue with not only radio, but also every single music tv channel every single uh place that played music just Mm. constantly playing these tracks made it so that if you don't like it 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 was horrible it was a horrible time because you heard it constantly right and i don't think it's the fact that we heard it a lot that makes it bad i think it was the fact that people didn't like it and then they heard it a lot um (laughs) And so it makes it so that you have very, very strong feelings about it. Like, I don't think any of those songs. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. The backlash also seems like quite delayed. Like Nickelback was really big. And then it felt like around like 2012, everyone was like, fuck this band. Before then, I want to say it was like 2008. Like when they released Dark Horse, everybody was like, what the fuck are these guys doing? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. It was the same thing. It, it, it also the other aspect of the backlash, especially with butt rock, is that it got associated with, um, like wannabe biker moms, um, yeah. drunk Ag- uncles, aggressive people, the most Pe- yeah people people, people you with knew. like abnormally high blood pressure. <laughs> um, yeah, but like specifically ag- aggressive, non dangerous people. You know, like it wasn't like yeah, a real hard ass. Yeah. It it was like a guy who was at your gym grunting and throwing the weights around, but oh, who was yeah, like yeah. scared of yeah. his mom. It, 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 once again, this is music for guys that got tricked by army recruiters out of high school. Yeah. So I think I think some of the backlash comes from the association of who really enjoys the music as well. I think that's hmm. a good point. Um, kind of yeah. like with any fandom, it's uh, you look at the fans and then you start hating the people who made the art even more yeah, I feel because like, you're like, damn, these people suck. Yeah. It's like a white trash band. I feel like people see it that way. Can I also, yeah, yeah. before I throw it to Dean, cause I know you wrote something in the doc that I want you to touch on. Can I just say, uh, I think there's a little bit of anti-intellectualism, uh, because people got mad at Nickelback cause Nickelback just wrote songs about getting drunk with your friends and every video had like babes in it. So I think it was just people being jealous of Nickelback. Uh, is that anti-intellectualism? Well, it is for me. Nickelback is too smart. No, it's it's me it's being anti. No, it's me being anti-intellectual because uh, <laughs> the critics were just extremely jealous. Do you imagine like some one hundred and five pound pitchfork writer seeing Chad Kroger's video for this afternoon where he's just partying with hot babes at a pool? Yeah. He's like, I fucking hate these guys. Like, <laughs> like every pitchfork writer is an incel, and they just despise Nickelback because of it. Because every right. single video and song is about getting laid and hanging out with chicks so all the backlash was anti-himbo is what you're saying yeah 100 percent. i actually respect chad kroger way more now than i ever did before because he's like adam sandler he just wants to make like the dumbest projects get paid for it and hang out with his friends 
It's the most lowbrow stuff ever. <laughs> okay, Dean, spit. Yeah. Okay, before I go, Megan, do you have anything you have to say about these two questions? I don't. We we need more Megan. In, in oh, I've never show. listened to Creed. I don't know what they sing, so I have no comment. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, the song Higher. Can you take me to the oh, blue I feel like I've heard that voice before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, My Sacrifice, which was released three weeks after 9-11 and became like an anthem for 9-11 so you couldn't be mad at it i also do feel though that like that backlash against nickelback was at a time in meme internet culture where people were like memes are so crazy and like nickelback (laughs) being bad was just like a meme and then everyone Mm. like the concept of a meme at the time was just like how many times can we share this it gets funnier every single time we repost the same goddamn image it's like the like yeah you know like that guy that ran the marathon and looked attractive or like those like with the little like picture in the middle and the like colors coming out on the sides and everyone was like oh yeah nick nickelback is bad and this is going to be like what internet culture is that you're totally right like that was from a moment in internet history where like everything wasn't fractured like now like the most popular memes are like tiktalik coming out of the water you know it's it's like insanely niche yeah for like you know a, a like tiny sliver of an audience but my, my point about the backlash against uh, Nickelback and Creed, but like butt rock in general, uh, I think it's sort of twofold uh, because, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this sort of butt rock era was basically the last time that rock music had a major influence on pop culture. Uh, like this, this was the, the yeah. death rattle of pop after this like we really move into the 21st century and hip hop becomes the definitive sound uh, of like, that's what all the young people are listening to. That's what's cool. That's what's interesting. That's where new things are coming. And rock becomes, you know, the realm of the Foo Fighters collecting Grammys uh, given to them by dad. Oh God. Yeah. The fact that rock music now is just the Foo Fighters. Like that's the only band that counts anymore. (laughs) Like anytime you listen to a rock radio station, I swear to God, every time I turn on the edge, they're talking about the Foo Fighters and every Grammy season, it's like, oh, the Foo Fighters have made one song. So we're going to give every single Grammy we have to them. Like that's literally the only band. It's so annoying. And I'm glad you mentioned the death of like cultural purchase because that plays a big factor into the kind of narrative I'm trying to uh, spin here. So I wanted to highlight that. I think everybody has made some very good points. I like also as well the notion of like meme culture because Nickelback admittedly has a lot of very funny images and like lyrics. For example, in one song, he just says, from the moment I wake up, I love being with my friends. It's like, that's one of yeah. the dumbest, oh most earnest that, that, uh, sentiments. That S-E-X song. Oh, man. It like literally <laughs> made me never, ever want to look at a woman again. Yeah. I was so disgusted Why? What did it say? Human Should I Google it's the just lyrics? He's got like a lyric where he's like, yeah. uh, what have you got going on under there? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I wonder if my tongue will be there soon. Oh, Let me see that pussy let me see that pussy thing girl (laughs) i don't does it say that no but it may as well and also good segue dean because another defining tenant of butt rock is uh (laughs) let's say at best sexism and at worst outright misogyny it's 
kind of shocking how like anti-woman a lot of the early songs are because it's, oh it's for god. pissed dudes this song is so rapey oh my god yeah 2008 uh but at the time you had so many songs on the charts about breakups divorces one song by puddle of mud and band we're going to talk more about in a second called blurry is entirely about a custody dispute it is divorced guy music (laughs) (laughs) there's also of course songs such as always by saliva where he talks about shooting his ex ex ex-girlfriend to Mm, death the pistol shaking in my hand uh there's also three days grace i hate everything about you tremendous a a mutual friend of ours uh went to like a rock show in like 2000 in Sudbury and three days grace was the opening band and he's like oh man they fucking suck and he just like left the show because they were so bad (laughs) i do i think it's funny that those those three songs you mentioned blurry always i hate everything about you all seem like they could be on like a hillary duff album yeah oh yeah like the (laughs) the titles and then of course there is the iconic 2001 track she hates me by puddle of mud I love She Hates Me so much. I'm Why? Not <laughs> Why do I love it? Yeah. It's because... musically terrible. And it's somehow like, it's not like, oh, this is a satire. It's like, no, this is just directly a song about like a woman. Be, uh, the, the reason why I like it is uh, because on one hand, I think of the funny stories of people using it as their ringtones back mm. in the day mm. for their wife. And then oh, the other one okay. is also wife related in that uh, somebody used it for their uh, first dance on their wedding day. Oh my god! Um, What's it oh, like about? Buck Cherry's crazy bitch. Wait, I just need. What to is Google she all hates me about? <laughs> okay, fair. Megan, you you Did really you not do, do need your research. No, to I did. Girl, thought, thought she, she was, was grand, grand. fell in love, found ever was hand. Yeah, it's just the about is she fucking hates me <laughs> just over and over again. She you fucking guys hates me. You are so me. right about yeah, there's yeah, like yeah, no yeah. depth or metaphor or poetry <laughs> in any of these music. No. Yeah. It's, it's literally like I trusted my wife and now she's mean. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's the I, best part. I told about you. It. Like, that's. Oh my God. So, I like, tried too hard and she tore my feelings like I had my none. feelings like I had none and ripped them away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a great quote from Hootie and the Blowfish, who are not a butt rock band, but they said, like, you know why our songs are universal? Because you don't need. To be smart to understand them. There are no metaphors <laughs> or similes in them. Butt rock is that times 1,000. It is oh, the yeah. most direct. And the few times where it does try to like be artful, it's just so embarrassing. Yeah. Well, and anytime they try to be artful, it basically boils down to, I am like Jesus Christ. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or it's like, yeah, like songs like It's Been a While, which was a huge hit in 2001, where it's just talking about how, he, how much he fucking hates his father. He's like, I hope I don't turn into him. It's like that's as you're you're either Jesus or your your father, and that's about as deep as butt rock gets. I don't know yeah. if I'm ever gonna get over tore out my feelings like I had none. That's like literally <laughs> Megan, like a great that's not even <laughs> that's not even the worst shit we have on here. 
Yeah. It's so good. It's just guys, so would you say that this like misogynist and sexist tone, especially of like early butt rock, is unique to the genre, or has it always like existed in rock and we just haven't noticed it because it's been maybe more artful in its so, use? So this is something that I might actually have expertise in because um, with You're hating women, because yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm a noted misogynist. Mm-hmm. No, because in high school. Uh, where I grew up, and I've, I've said many times before, it's like 10 years behind. Um, a lot of people got into metalcore. And I don't know if you guys remember metalcore or crabcore bands, <laughs> oh, but people would walk around with T-shirts that had huge block letters on the back that filled up their whole entire back that said, uh, fucking stone the bitch and like all this other horrible shit. And it was every single song was literally like, you cheated on me, so I'm going to strangle you now. Every single song. And so I don't think it's unique to butt rock in any way. I think it's something that gets latched onto by different genres when people run out of creativity and uh, move towards something that's very easy for them to speak about, which is being frustrated about their sex lives. That's really horrible. Okay. I also find that's my problem. Like Eminem makes good music, but... I know the whole like Eminem is sexist is like a 20 year old debate at this point, but it really is horrible. Like he says horrible shit in his music and like what you're describing chance is horrible. I don't understand why people make music like that. It makes me so sad because it just means that like women can't enjoy it to the same extent. It sucks. It becomes a boys club. And I, I think, I think again, that comes down to lack of creativity because they aren't able to speak to anything other than, something very juvenile and rudimentary to them, which is I don't get sex the way I want it. <laughs> <laughs> which is why Nickelback is the coolest in the genre. Cause they do get sex the way they want. It. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're just really <laughs> gross about it, but it's not the like, way do they let you know about they it? don't hate women. They just, they just, you know, really love sex and maybe don't see women as people. You know? Yeah. 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 It's like, they don't hate a coffee table. They just <laughs> see it as being a necessary thing they use. <laughs> <laughs> like sorry that is ultimately just kind of how it is sad for for me yeah. i think the sexism stems from it just being a really easily marketable avenue for aggression mm. because it sort of skirts the like overtly political which again we're talking about the bush era here oh yeah do you want to write a pro-war song do you want an anti-war song no nah, i don't want to touch that with a 10-foot pole and then like Otherwise, you could do like infantile stuff, like you know, Beastie Boys or <laughs> hey. uh, schools the out for the boys summer. Are not infantile. Hey, Beastie you're Boys are wrong about that. Fucking one, stood up to parents when no one else. Was. That's right. Yeah. No. <laughs> no but like, they, they yeah, made fun you, of frat boys. Yeah. The, yeah no, I know. Like, it's, it's a joke. I know it's ironic, but like, do you understand what I'm saying? Where like you're you're critiquing, you're getting mad at like parents and teachers. No, no, I don't want to seem like a kid. Who can I get mad at? My girlfriend. Because that right, seems like a grown-up person. That's, that's a grown-up adult, adult relationship yeah. that I can have. So I'm just going to get really frustrated and angry about my bitch girlfriend. Mm. <laughs> Sad. Yeah. No, that's fair. Like, if you want to be, like, yelly, but you don't want to, like, actually talk about politics at all. That's, like, the only thing people care that much about or is anything. relationships. So. Yeah. True. It's it's the only avenue where a guy can have feelings is in a romantic context. And I'm glad you also brought up that kind of ambient sense of anger because the culture at this time was just full of ambient anger. Of course, post 9-11, everyone was insane. Yes, the US, but also us in Canada. 
And it was just like, everybody was looking for a fight, but were too pussy to actually like fight someone. So you just channeled it through this music. But before we get really fully into that more, let's say, scattershot hostility, I want to talk about my favorite subgenre in butt rock, which is the introspective songs, mostly about either being an addict or in the case of eyes wired shut, which we're going to play for you just a second. Dean's interpretation of it really makes me laugh. And I think he's on to something. So eyes wired shut, which for the longest time I thought was eyes wide shut, like the movie. No, eyes wired shut is uh, nominally about addiction, but all he talks about is throwing away pills that make me. I've thrown away, thrown away the chance to want to change. And as Dean noted in the notes, it is just a guy talking about like his ADHD or diarrhea medicine. Totally, (laughs) he has been red pilled. That we need to bring butt rock back, like especially, like, especially for like our like oh the zand like, up know, generation. Yeah, our our, our zand up generation and our like mental health awareness age that we live in. Oh, He's man. like it could be just like you know like the most like disgusting like sludgy like three chord progression and the guy talking about like I need to go home and have a bubble bath. <laughs> Bell, let's talk. Feature performer. Edgewater with eyes wired shut. Hell yeah. The last one I think about that I think fits what Dean's talking about is also Hate Me by Blue October. Oh man, that song very nearly made the cut. It was on the precipice. Because that's a whole song where it's like it's like my my brain does sad things. What the <laughs> hell? And uh, and I slightly, really like it. It was slightly too artistic because he tried to make uh, similes and metaphors. He used <laughs> yeah, it. He did. So, uh, but "Hate Me" by Blue October is hilarious. There's another song about him being pissed about his parents and his addiction, but also being like, you know what? I'm strong enough. You should hate me because I'm a fucking addict. Because you're weak. <laughs> I'm strong, so you can hate me. And it's like all of these introspective butt rock songs, which were like 2002 to like 2004 especially, were amazing. They all are so funny in hindsight. And at the time, they're like, wow, this genre is growing up. They're tackling it, tough issues like I know, addiction. Right? And it, we need to keep that train going. I need to hear like an eight-minute ballad about how sometimes I'm too overwhelmed to do the dishes. Mm. (laughs) I got the water up to my wrists. I thought maybe instead I should slit them. (laughs) It's literally like asking a 15-year-old, like, why do you feel so down? They're they're like, I don't know. I think it's these stupid pills my mom gave me. (laughs) Blue October presents Grandma's House Can Suck a Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) it's uh it's amazing but so we've seen two of the enemies that you can experience in butt rock you know your girlfriend or slash parents and then yourself slash addiction but around 2003 into 2004 we started to see a more focused type of rage in this genre. And there are so many examples of this. We're going to play one you maybe haven't heard of in just a second. But as the war on terror really started to heat up, a lot of the butt rock songs really started to 
increase in their pissed energies and direct them like a fine laser. You had songs like Headstrong, in which they will take you on and take on anyone. You, of course, had Breaking Benjamin, one of the absolute kings of the genre, with Blow Me Away, the Halo 2 song, which is literally just about fighting a war. I tried to look up any deeper meaning. No, it's just a song about fighting a war. You had Three Days Grace, Just Like You. Of course, that song is sick. You had Fozzy, the the band create this is like all wwe music like these are songs you would hear played on their shows and this song is cool because it has a wwe wrestler singing on it called enemy and uh boy yes is it something it is one of the most frictionless like unimpressive songs about having a mortal enemy and of course because it's butt rock his mortal enemy is a fake friend (laughs) but it's worth noting that like yeah this music did become much more like aggressively pointed with the war on terror as people now actually had an enemy to fight like pre-9-11 people were pissed but they couldn't really explain why because although things appeared to be improving for a lot of people, their material conditions were actually worse than ever and were not improving. And they were just fucking stuck in the same cycle forever. And we saw a lot of that, like aggression in new metal, which we surmised was pointed like at members of authority, which in the case of a lot of these bands was people's parents or, you know, the people they felt were holding them back. But now it's like, Oh, we have an enemy. We, we literally have someone to be mad at but we can't be too political. So what do we do? We just talk about like beating the shit out of people and killing them. Yeah. But you know, not being explicit about it. And that's where the consumerism and the commercialism comes in. All of these songs were like massive hits. And it's just like, of course, chief among them. And this is the one I really want to talk about because it's the funniest song maybe ever. Even the established like icons of other genres were not safe from the butt rock stink as the charts became became dominated by this commercial style of butt rock, even Metallica stooped so low to put maybe one of the worst entries into the genre, a song literally called Saint Anger. Saint Anger on my <laughs> anger it's hard to believe this song exists it's a fucking shame it, is what it is it really it really truly is fucking incredible that this because, is a real song oh i didn't listen I to love, it what's it like oh megan i'm gonna read you the lyrics in just a second i'm gonna okay. mute so i can type i will pull them up um wow jesse's yeah, so, so courteous metallica was my favorite band for a really long time but that's Whoa. because i didn't have tons of money so like mm-hmm. i only owned a few albums of them and so i had their first three and i had the black album and i was mm-hmm. like this band is sick mm-hmm. and it wasn't until i got older and was introduced to their stuff that actually like was quote unquote popular that wasn't the black album that i was like this band fucking sucks <laughs> everything they've touched is trash and what is wrong with them um they they went from you know writing songs about addiction but in very like really interesting artistic mm-hmm. ways as well as like writing songs about i don't know just like riding around on your motorcycle and shit like that <laughs> uh, 
and also like a lot of like very politically heavy songs about yeah. like war and things uh to just like i don't know getting really mad that you're going through a divorce and yeah i'm gonna write a song about that or like i don't a lot of divorce shit it's like i don't have custody of my kid megan are you and my wife doesn't sleep with me anymore are you ready for the lyrics i'm gonna read yes. you there aren't it's a long song but there aren't many lyrics okay this these are all this is real just for the record and i'm gonna okay. read the genius annotation for this first one okay saint anger round my neck Saint Anger round my neck. He never gets respect. Saint Anger round my neck. Genius annotation to con- contributors. Anger can be as if not. Anger can be as if not more destructive than having a rope around your neck. At the same time, anger can be useful and is rarely thought of in that way. I don't so really true. understand how the second part ties wow, in. Awesome. Uh, pre-chorus, you flush it out. You flush it out. Saint Anger round my neck. You flush it out. You flush it out. He never gets respect. Yada, yada, yada. Then the chorus, Megan. Fuck it all and no regrets. I hit the lights on these dark sets. I need a voice to let myself let myself go free. And then my favorite line, my second favorite line on the entire album, which is notoriously terrible. I feel my world shake like an earthquake. Hard to see clear. Is it me? Is it fear? I'm madly in anger with you. I'm madly in anger with you. Madly in anger. Oh. They probably you know thought how that you was can be in love with someone. Yes, they probably sort of like you can be in any emotion with someone if you think about it. Yeah, and sometimes you're in anger. Uh, I like to think that this song is from the perspective of Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> oh, he never gets respect. Uh, he never gets respect. <laughs> oh, I got this friend, Saint Anger. He's got a real bitch of a wife. <laughs> she's, she's constantly round his neck like a noose. There she's was trying also... to flush him out. <laughs> oh, he what? feels his world shake. <laughs> what came out with this song was also a documentary of them doing the recordings. Oh, man. It's so rough. <laughs> and it's just, it's cringe. They're, like, pure oh. cringe. A lot of fighting. It's they're four. all really mad at each other because they're all trying to be sober for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like, literally four middle-aged guys, like, going through therapy and trying to make an yes. album. It's and trying horrible. to make an album at the same time. And then they come up with lyrics like this. Like when Fleetwood Mac did that, <laughs> it was awesome. they came out with the rumors. Right? Yeah. These guys do it, they come out with like, there's ang- St. Angers around my neck. There's the problem also- is oh, go ahead, that dude. the Metallica guys were not fucking each other. No. <laughs> yeah. no. The, you know what? That is the problem. It's yeah. the, another great line from that album is uh, just <laughs> repeating over and over again, my lifestyle determines my death style, which I've said <laughs> <laughs> so many. Yeah. My life. It's so cool. Yeah. That's what I say when I eat three bags of Doritos in one day. I literally feel like they think that that's like a clever play on words. Like they think that's what a play on words is to just say death style instead of lifestyle. Megan, I'm not kidding when I say with I'm in anger with you. This is literally this is literally the smartest band in this genre. Uh This song is perfect. It's like such a great time capsule of Bush era culture because it's literally just a song called St. Anger about a guy who loves being fucking pissed off all the time. Yeah. And it's just like, what is he angry at? We don't know. We literally literally don't know. (laughs) He doesn't say. He's just angry. It never comes up. The only thing he talks about is being mad. Yeah, with you. The flushing line also seems so unrelated. I don't like. Okay, it's clever. We we used to like again butt rock. Yeah, we used to (laughs) sing this song like in high school, and we would just like change the lyrics. (laughs) Oh, it was great. Just like suck me off, kill myself. (laughs) Just 
all sorts of great songs. What was it? I uh, love it. Yeah, Saint Anger, hilarious. But I guess my question is: around this time, like, is this music pandering to a legion of raving chuds, or is there like an actual sense of catharsis on the part of musicians? Like, is it just strictly like lowest common denominator? Or do you think these guys were trying to say something? No, I don't think they were trying. I think they were trying to say, <laughs> I would like some money. I'm going through a divorce. <laughs> I Give imagine that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what it is, right? So you had the the tail ends, obviously, of punk, which led to grunge. Mm-hmm. Grunge had a lot of the catharsis of punk still, mm-hmm. where you could show up to a grunge show and get all fucked up and do your drugs and, like, you know, swing your elbows around. And then... You have this because those people, those same Gen Xers or whoever, um, are just getting a little bit older. So they can't (laughs) really do those things anymore. So they kind of just show up and it's like, yeah, this is exactly like the music I listened to before. It was all just about being mad, right? Mm. That's all it was. It wasn't actually about anything. It was just about the feeling of being mad. Um, And then they get to show up with like shitty leather jackets group that was listening I, to Nirvana I actually, and then listening to this. I don't no, know. No, I actually think well, Chance I, is I right. Think, I think you've hit the nail. I also, and I, th- I think part of it Nirvana is... Nirvana was the most popular band in the world. So. Yeah. No, yeah. I know. I think I'm part of it. Not everyone got I think it. that's like, like a different like group of people that were listening to Nirvana that like also because like the, the 10 years apart that these would have been would have made a difference in who was a teenager and listening to angry music. Yes, but, but that's ch- why the, the that's why the demographic didn't uh, like the demographic of this music was not teenagers listening to it. No. It was what? like it totally was. It was like something. annoying they, dudes in high school with chin they, straps. No, there's a crossover, but Chance is also right. Like a lot of this, you could read as just being a response to like how miserable suburban life is. Like these people are so fucking pissed that this is what their life and like their promise of, you know, the American dream has become, you're like trapped in a fucking suburb and like a loveless marriage. You have to drive your kids around. Your neighbor is constantly just being annoying and you wish that you could (laughs) fucking scream at him, but you're too much of a pussy because you have sane anger around your neck and you never get respect. (laughs) Megan, I I think another, we can talk about teenagers liking this music. Sure. That exists. I'm talking about the main demographic that would pay money to go to a concert. You're not showing up to these concerts for any of these bands at like a local club or something like that, where it's a bunch of like teenagers who just got in for their first time because they just turned 19. It is literally like 30 somethings and 40 somethings filling the crowd. It's soccer moms. Yeah. uh, Yeah. yeah, Maybe for some stadium bands, but like I personally, I went to a lot more concerts as a teenager than I did as in my twenties now. Like I feel like teenagers are a big part of concert goers. And like maybe there's definitely obviously but you didn't some, see these bands some overlap between like because it's hard to differentiate genres too starkly by generation two because like a, when a mm. band is popular anyone from like eleven to forty is going to be listening to it and then I feel like once you're older than that you sort of just listen to like what you listen to when you were in the early like the first half of your life so there is like I, there definitely was probably lots of angry dads and angry moms listening to this too but i don't yeah i don't know i just maybe i'm just holding nirvana fans in a really like high esteem and i'm like they wouldn't stoop so low but obviously many people are dumb so i don't know yeah 
I think this also comes around the same time where a lot of people in the music industry that would have started like things like DIY labels and stuff like that have all also gotten older and need to provide for their families, quote unquote, in that like they get greedy and they need to start making actual money. And so it becomes the people that are pushing these things and are marketing these things have also gotten older, right? Because this would have been considered uh, like alternative at one point in time. But the people in the mainstream now have gotten used to the music, especially in around 2004, 2005, to the point where to them, this is like the new sound. So like that's literally who it's appealing to. Were these bands ever indie labels, though? I would assume these were all just on major labels, like even indie bands in the early 2000s were on major labels before like indie indie labels became like they were i feel like have gone in and out of popularity but like a lot of indie bands in the 90s were on major labels and so i would i would just Honestly, assume no, that all yeah, these bands sure. were on major labels too what's what's funny is nickelback was probably the smallest label band like they've stayed with roadrunner record since and like roadrunner isn't yeah, that like sounds fucking small. <laughs> yeah like they're not you know fucking well, roadrunners yeah yeah but yeah, so like, th- yeah, I, I think the people that would be looking for alternative music got older, is mm-hmm. what I'm saying. Yeah. And so fair. those people needed to have those things satiated while also w- having to go to their day jobs. I think and it so would, then yeah. you get things and like as, this. as you were mm-hmm. saying, uh, Megan, the the young people were going to shows and listening to, as you were saying, The Strokes and the Woo. Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs and cool bands they had that their you outlets. could meet in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I do think it's funny to think of like the alternative group shifting to this. It's like really funny to me to have like a guy who is like an REM diehard in like 1996 (laughs) who gets like really into like fucking Edgewater in 2004. Yeah, he's like, like, this is the the future. I I think Dean's right. I think if you were really into like actually good bands in the late 80s and early 90s, then you would have switched over to like New York indie bands in the early 2000s. I don't know if you would have been like, I love Nickelback. I don't know. I feel like this is just like a wild group of new people. But you know, I, I'm sure, I'm sure just, there just... was an overlap. I'm sure there was an overlap. But yeah, it's just like basically like the people who were like too freaked out and like too heterosexual. <laughs> they, they would yeah. not. They would not go to the New York scene. They'd be listening to Nickelback. We're gonna they queer butt rock. Not bisexual enough to yeah. enjoy Julian Casablancas. Yeah. Okay, Dean. Do you have anything to add before we move on to my my next little section here? Yeah, so uh, you mentioned uh, this music pandering to to chuds. Oh yeah, specifically. Oh yeah. Uh, which you know, a chud did not really exist yet, uh, and that's sort of my point, uh, which is that I think Butt Rock's listenership at the time definitely skewed, as we were saying, suburban, mm-hmm. older, and as such, rightward. Uh, but I don't think it's defined by that, uh, because again, we're talking about. This is pre-Obama era, mm-hmm. which brought, you know, political division to the forefront of American consciousness mm-hmm. and the idea of this divide that defines us. Uh, and this is before yeah. social media algorithms had sorted us all into discrete audiences that allowed for the proliferation of highly targeted media that regurgitated the exact same political opinion that you had back to you. Right. Mm -hmm. So like this is still a mass media that needed to appeal to as broad an audience as possible. And as we were saying, that's why it was so vehemently apolitical. Uh, And that that's why uh, 
uh, butt rock, if we can say that it still exists, has now been fractured and spiderwebbed into a thousand different pieces. The only one of which has any purchase still is explicitly conservative. And what what's funny as well is a lot of this in, is like in hindsight, but some of the, like the lead singers are like musicians from these bands, like the guy from Trap, huge Trump guy, mm-hmm. Scott Stapp, huge Trump guy. Like a lot of the people mm-hmm. that made these songs would eventually end up just explicitly saying Chris Jericho, huge Trump guy. His wife went to the January 6th riot. <laughs> It's like it's just so funny. Like a lot of it is in hindsight, where they're like, "Oh, we don't." Yeah, it's exactly like you said. Like, "Oh, we don't pick sides. We make music for people who want to rock, who for people that are pissed off." But it's like, "Oh, it is kind of weird how all of these guys ended up being like yeah. these insane well, the, reactionaries." It's the culture change, you know, like gay marriage is legalized. There's a black man in the White House, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, well, now you're making everything political, so I have to become political. Yeah, you mm-hmm. know, as opposed to you know the hegemony of. You know, I don't have to be political because because I'm in power running the show. (laughs) You're so you're you're right, Dean. Video games are getting too political. I've been saying that for that's what I've been saying this whole time, and you've never listened. (laughs) Well, okay. My question is, what happens when when a butt rock band decides they've had enough and they are going to get political? Because it's 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 the second term of Bush. Everybody hates him, and he's insane. We know that he lied. We know that he, in the words of Kanye West does not care about black people but the question <laughs> is who's gonna stand up and you know what there, there's finally one band that's willing to do it there's you know some band that is willing to put that righteous anger and point it towards institutions that have been fanning flames of hysteria now this isn't to say that there was no like political music at the time system of a down of course like amazing like and, and even the Dixie Chicks got like fucking crucified for the most milk toast condemnation of George Bush. There were artists that were trying to make statements, but there was one that rose above all the others. A band full of disturbing individuals who were ready to fight back against this land of confusion. <laughs> Okay, let's well, talk about man. Land of Confusion. The original song, the Genesis track, 1986, not their greatest, but a good tune. I like it mm-hmm. quite a bit. But where it made its impact was the music video, which directly targeted Ronald Reagan, Lampoon, his dementia pants shitting ass, and was an anti-war track released during one of the heights of the Cold War. You know, it's the song itself is a little more general and not quite as scathing like it doesn't make specific reference to ronald reagan but it was still an important piece of music and quite a gutsy gesture 19 years later disturbed thinks hey you know that's a good tune why not it's 2005 so of course you're thinking oh they're going to be inspired by the war on terror the fucking war in iraq all of these horrible things that have happened the patriot act daily atrocities Was it complete and total censorship and demonization of the anti-war movement in the West? Was it hysteria being fanned by the media with daily terror alerts and updates? You know, page, taupe, pink, orange? No. Here is the explicit reasoning for this cover. David, Draymond, the lead singer of the band, was first against the idea of doing a cover. But then he came around since he liked the idea of taking something that sounded nothing like Disturbed and making it their own. That's oh, it. Oh, awesome. Cool. That's, so cool. That's why they did it. But 
why I told you guys to watch the music video is because they were like, oh, we're going to make this video like Genesis mean something. So they hired Todd McFarlane. Can, can, I'm sorry. Before we get into that, can I just defend these guys? Because that is exactly why my folk rock outfit covered Fuck the Police. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we, 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 we love the cops. We just thought it'd be a different sound yeah. for us. They had Baked Alaska on. And their Fuck the Police was literally about servicing our boys in blue. That's right. <laughs> Servicing our service. That's right. For sure. So Todd McFarlane of Spawn fame is hired to direct the music video, and it, it does some interesting things. And Dean, I'm gonna. Do you have the doc open? I do. You're gonna read the two word answers here, okay? I can do that. A little, a little call and response. <clears throat> okay. So the video does some interesting things, but not in the way I think Disturbed intended. So rather than painting, or rather than the U.S president at the time, George Bush, being the target of vitriol, Disturbed took a more neutral take, painting all world leaders as being complicit in atrocities. That's good. The atrocities are not just localized to the Middle East, you know, where they were actually happening. That's bad. The video implies that key members of the UN Security Council are responsible for said atrocities. That's good. The video juxtaposes the Nazi forces to a Muslim cleric. That's very bad. The video shows normal people uniting to fight the UN Nazis. That's good. They rally around a faceless man who's really into leather, chain bondage, and disturbed. Okay, that's Spawn. (laughs) And can I go now? (laughs) So, when asked about the inspiration for this video, Todd McFarlane said the following. That the world is run by one giant thing, which is greed and lust. Which... That's two things! No, Dean, it's one one giant thing. Two two big things create one giant thing. (laughs) Todd McFarlane's so awesome. What a quote. Such a fucking... Todd, what's what's one word to describe this album? It's good. <laughs> so, he is right. The world is run by greed. But it's, it's really funny to me that the spiritual sequel video to, like, one of the more political songs of the Reagan era just ends up being so flat and apolitical. It's like, this is literally as controversial as it could get. Like this is this is the peak of like we're gonna take things seriously, and it's amazing to me that Disturbed in their have you like if you've seen the video as well the great enemy that represents greed is basically just the Monopoly man with a Nazi armband, awesome, <laughs> literally just a guy with a monocle smoking a big cigar, and then the Disturbed guy punches him in the stomach really hard until money falls out. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's it's how so good. He died. That's oh, right. And after he died, <laughs> coincidentally, everything got better. So maybe some <laughs> ad subtext there. But this is the peak of Butt Rock. It's the funniest possible combination of song and video made in the middle of the Bush era. And the most they could do, this tap water hot condemnation of George Bush, was to not even have him in the video, but rather make the main enemy be the Monopoly man. And it's kind of prescient in a way, because 2008 would happen where everybody got fucked over by, you know, the fat cats and uh, Wall Street. But I don't think this was an intentional thing. And, you know, once Bush is ousted, the cycle begins anew. We would stop seeing these, like, rage-filled, quote-unquote, political songs. And Butt Rock went back to its roots of being about hot girls that you want to have sex with. Yes. Coincidentally, (laughs) it's during this time that one band began its meteoric rise. The Canadian band, also on Roadrunner Records, so on the same label as Nickelback, Theory of a Dead Man. Fuck. She loves to shake her ass, she climbs into the beach, she loves to shake her ass. 
If you have not heard the song Bad Girlfriend, I think it might actually be the worst song I've Bloody, ever heard I in my entire life. I hear that song every day in my life. Whoa. I have not heard this song. What the Meteoric fuck? Rise? What Were they the that fuck? famous? No, but comparatively <laughs> in butt rock, yes. Okay. Theory of a Dead Man? Yeah. Yeah, like I've I mean, heard they them, but I, they're not like, wow, yeah. Theory of a Dead Man, you know? I, feel like I mean, didn't if you listen to the rock charts, you did hear them a lot. Like, a lot. And in my opinion, everything that was said about Nickelback is way more applicable to Theory of a Dead Man. They're actually, in my opinion, the worst band I've ever heard. Every <laughs> song is terrible. That the- song, Theory of like, a Dead Bad Man Girlfriend, did... is truly terrible. Yeah, it's Theory awful. of a Dead Man did Santa Monica. And you definitely know that one, Megan. Sing yeah. It. Sing it, Chance. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I do yeah. that song. And that's oh, their that song best kind song. of rocks too. That's a fun song. <laughs> oh Jesus! Christ. The music video is him leaving a motel. That his no, it's his ex leaving a hotel, a motel, and pouring gasoline the whole time, and then she lights it up. Yeah, killing uh, Megan, all the employees you, as well. Megan, <laughs> would you like me to read you some lyrics to "Bad Girlfriend"? I would love for you to do that. So, Megan, I'm going to read you the first two lines from this song. Okay. This is the second single from the amazingly titled Scars and Souvenirs. What a deep song. What a deep title. Yeah. Okay, you ready? Mm-hmm. My girlfriend's a dick magnet. Oh, my girlfriend, you oh gotta god. have it. Oh my god. It uh, doesn't get better from there, folks. Oh. Uh, yeah, it's... Uh, she really likes to, she likes to shake her ass. She grinds it to the beat. She likes to pull my hair when I make her grind her teeth. So and you know she has low cut jeans on. Be like yeah. <laughs> he's like in awe of how like hot and fun his girlfriend is, or does he just like hate her? And yeah. call oh her no, a she 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 does become his ex wife. So okay. and like she was his ex wife at the time the song was released. Also, uh, the genius because annotation. The, <laughs> this basically the means he was attracted to yeah. made it so that she was a slut. Man. Yeah. Ugh. So, Megan, wow. if you wanted to understand the deeper meaning of my girlfriend's a dick magnet, she's got to have it. Uh, this basically oh, means I, a I woman who I is very it. attractive, a, quote, dick magnet, is basically a woman who men want to take home. Gotta <laughs> have it explains itself, as if the first part also <laughs> yeah, didn't explain what? itself. <laughs> the first part needed further explanation. So, yep. the cycle begins Well, this was new. also the time where we didn't know how magnets work. That's true. <laughs> Insane Clown Posse were the only ones that would step up and fucking crystallize that yeah. thought for us. Yeah, that's called that's called science communication, boys. So, take notes. <laughs> as is traditional during this time, especially in capitalism, everything is just a copy of a copy and is a much worse version of the original. So, for as much as people ballyhoo about Nickelback, Theory of a Dead Man is way worse. <laughs> and I think it's also funny that some of the big guess like american rock bands were canadian nickelback yep three days grace theory of a dead man even fozzy is led by a canadian lead singer avril lavigne avril lavigne that would be awesome <laughs> is it like uh, simple plan or some 41 or, or well they're Canadians? pop punk oh okay, yeah so uh right. yeah and Come that, on, that's dude. the that's the groomer genre that's another episode <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know it's kind of perfect to me that like the fucking epicenter of like American rock culture at this time was outsourced fucking NATO style or NAFTA style. True of pop now though. Like most pop artists are from Canada. 
I don't think they like, the, make yeah, any some music. Of the biggest ones. We have so much like cultural funding. I, I feel like it just like yeah, it's just that they don't have any culture. arts funding over there. <laughs> I would also like to say I find it amazing that Theory of a Dead Man, who released this album and got big in 2008, released it just as the financial collapse happened, which I think is very telling. <laughs> it's like that's why she burned the house in yeah. Santa Monica. Much like how capitalism became Can't arrested in its development during this era you know stagnation fall new worse cycle so too did butt rock with each cycle going over the same ground until eventually it's just as smooth as a fucking like river pebble there is no friction to this jesse if you keep talking about the 2008 collapse i'm gonna have a sane anger here okay he's gonna gonna be wrapped around my neck i'm gonna flip out so butt rock is still was still being made throughout the late 2000s but it was so completely forgettable like, there is nothing worth highlighting. I'm going to say the name of a band, Adelita's Way. You ever heard of them? No, of course nope. not. There was so much just completely, like, it wasn't even angry anymore. It was just like, I'm going to believe in myself. I'm feeling invincible tonight. And it was like, yeah. cool, that's awesome. We've really completely just given up on <laughs> anything that this genre started with. And some of the titans of this genre are still around. Nickelback. Still making music, disturbed. Still making music. Uh, theory, theory of a dead man. Three days grace. Fozzy. They're all still doing their thing, but there is one artist above all the others who has matured and changed, and he's grown from his butt rock roots, and he's created something really special. And he's the one that's going to be closing us out today. You see, he started as an angry young man making music about the frayed relationship with his father and his his struggles with addiction, Megan. Mm. And 20 years later, he's learned and grown. And now he makes music with meaning and purpose. That's right. Aaron Lewis from the band Stained with Am I the Only One? Am I the only one not brainwashed Making my way through the land of the lost and much like before, Megan, I'm going to I'm going to quickly pull up the lyrics to read to you. OK, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're going to like this one. It's so it's so much worse <laughs> than what it should be. It's like it's honest to God. This is yeah, this is the worst a- one that offensive- Jesse pulled out offensively. It's just so slow and boring. Yeah, it's not butt rock. Like, if you're going to make like an inflammatory political song. Don't fucking cry and jack off. Uh, and, I, and I just want to, for for Megan and our audience, for context, Stained is the band that did. It's, it's been, been a while. while. Ah, cool. Uh, so, Megan, uh, <laughs> the song starts with him asking if he is the only one. Uh, but here's here's the, the, the chorus, which I think will tell you all you need to know. Am I the only one willing to bleed or take a bullet for being free? Screaming, what the fuck, at my TV for telling me, (laughs) yeah, you're telling me that I'm the only one willing to fight for my love of the red and white and the blue burning on the ground. Another statue coming down. Yeah. In your town. (laughs) This is last year. year. I was going to say, I was like, I thought our whole discussion was how this is not political, but all these guys have gotten really political now. I see. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Also, okay, LOL, uh, the contrast of am I the only one willing to bleed? And then the next thing he can he (laughs) contextualizes himself in his living room screaming at his television. What the fuck at my TV? Literally, like, in one paragraph. That's so awesome. Yeah, he didn't hold on to it for very long. (laughs) Butt Rock has finally reached its natural endpoint where it's no longer rock but it's a whole lot of ass 
I'm telling you right now, Aaron Lewis, the lead singer of Stained, alongside someone who was butt rock adjacent, Mr. Kid Rock. They are uh, mm-hmm. definitely Kid Rock's song. Nobody gonna tell me how to leave. That's with uh, Monster so much Truck. fucking yeah. better. Hey, Snowflake, because... here's a newsflash. Another yeah. another like, Canadian like, band, Monster Truck. Monster Truck. Oh my god, they fucking suck. Be angry. You're supposed to be angry. I wanted to hear about how you hate the snowflakes yeah. and are so angry about it. Not just like, am I the you only one whose wife left fresh. him because he put some too much money into Donair <laughs> with Dinar? <laughs> am I the only one who bought all the ape coin? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, am I the only one who used three slurp juice <laughs> on the? Side? Yeah, you're telling me I could mint three apes. <laughs> so, Aaron Lewis, Kid Rock, they're creating the newest and natural conclusion to butt rock, which is butt country. And if you recall, way back in 2020, when we talked about. Some of the classic war songs from the 2000s. Toby Keith, courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue. Well, he finally has some contemporaries. It only took 17 years, but now we have Kid Rock, Aaron Lewis, and once President Trump is restored to office and the DNR is RV'd, there will be no stopping but country. And with that, we have now covered the smartest genre in music history, which only took... About 10 years to play out, and only took about an hour and 10 minutes to cover. But uh, this is unquestionably the greatest musical episode in the history of man, and we have done more research on butt rock than anybody in human history. So I hope <laughs> I hope you guys have enjoyed this, because I certainly loved sharing these dog turds with you. I just I, I unwrapped the cheesecloth and just put them at your feet, and you can enjoy. <laughs> yeah, them. thanks. But it was sort of it was almost like a charcuterie, but like it was it was very thoughtful, very well laid <laughs> out. Do not mind uh, yourself. E- eating each a turd complimented the last. It's good. <laughs> oh man. Okay, thank you for uh, listening. Okay. We will see you next week. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.